Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yaraga and Turbul people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Best Of series for the Nasty Woman Club podcast. I'm your host Demi Lynch and today I'll be sharing with you all another one of my favourite interview episodes from the Nasty Woman Club archives. When I go back to all my interviews I've done through the Nasty Woman Club platform and reflect on what I've learned, I instantly go back to my interview with Hanel Harris I think out of everyone that I've interviewed, I have learnt the most from her. She taught me so much during this interview and really helped my understanding in the effects of colonisation and the importance of having true representation that's not from a white perspective. And yes, I think it's very important that everyone has listened to this interview, not only because is Hanel such a brilliant director, writer, producer for this amazing show called Sis, which check it out on Comedy Central if you haven't. But she also is just such a great person to talk to and really learn about privilege, discrimination and racial profiling. So I really hope you all learned something today as we go back in the past to July 2020 and listen to my interview with the incredible, inspiring Hanel Harris. Hello. Hi. So nice to meet you, Demi. Yeah, so nice to meet you. Big congratulations on your premiere. How are you feeling? Because I can imagine you've just been counting down the days for this premiere. How are you feeling right now? Um, I actually wasn't, you know, I mean, getting something off the ground like this is always so much work. There's so many different things that go into it. And even now that it's out, there's so much still that needs to be done to wrap wrap it up so it's always this thing I find where you are excited for the work to come out of course and more so to give it back to especially the people that gave to the project you know your crew your cast be like this is what we created guys but um, you're still on autopilot as a producer just like putting out fires to the last minute, you know, and we've had, we've been really blessed. We've had such a good media trail for this. Like it's been incredible the amount of support we've had, um, you know, and just people coming direct to us like you guys and just being like, we want to check you on a podcast or whatever. And we're just in a very state of yes, you know, and so you know, that just comes with um, a bit more admin that we weren't, um, we were like, I mean, we were, we're not prepared for it because it's never happened for us before, especially as brown women. So 
um, for like mainstream media to say, we want you to come on the show and this show and this radio station. And we're like, these are doors that were never open to us. So um, yeah, that's kind of the space I'm at where I'm like, Oh, we're still working. Like it's out, <laughs> but we're still working. Okay, cool. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, the last 24 hours with the, uh, it went live at 7am New Zealand standard time on comedycentral.com.au. So for Australia and New Zealand. And basically since then, we've just been like pretty, pretty full on. Yeah. But yeah. awesome. Blessed. Well, it is flipping hilarious. Can I just say that opening scene is just I think definitely it hit at home for a lot of people and was very relatable, I think. And just, yeah, big congratulations. It's just so funny and you've just done such a great job. You and also all of the cast and everyone else that was part of the team, you've just done all such a great job. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's interesting. Today, one of the developments we've had with that opening sketch, which we've posted the full thing on our Instagram and our Facebook you know, we've seen some comments from like, obviously like people that the show isn't intended for, like your boomer generation. And they've been like, this is really cringe and uncomfortable. And we're like, oh, it's uncomfortable. Cool. It's meant to be uncomfortable. Um, Sorry, we didn't make it for you, Karen. Like (laughs) Coronation Street is on channel one, Karen. Like, no. Um, (laughs) And, 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 you know, actually just being really okay with the fact that the show is not for everyone. You know, we, we, we really stand by um, our kind of slogan of for us and by us. And that's not an exclusivity thing. It's just to say, first and foremost, we tell stories for our people and our community. And if people who aren't um, Polynesian or coloured um, relate to it then that's a bonus but you know just to be really comfortable in that we're allowed to occupy spaces too and we're allowed to occupy mainstream spaces and and talk about the things that we care about and if you don't get it and you miss the point that's okay honey because it's not your lived experience and um, you know um, you don't have to be part of the conversation so maybe exit the comment section yes <laughs> no. yes no stay in the comment section <laughs> stay in the comment section but good yes yeah, right yeah. as long as there's no trolls i did have a look at the comment section it was well oh my god i have to say it was so great to see people from all over the world in the comment section being like where can we watch this where can we watch this i think i saw like people in sweden and america i'm just like oh that's so great i love that so much that people all over the world are keen on watching this so good Yeah. And I don't know yet when we're going to be able to get it overseas. At the moment, we're focused on um, two things. Short term is just getting the word out in these next two weeks and making maximizing our launch for Australia and New Zealand. And because even though like, you know, with New Zealand On Air funding, shout out to our aunties and uncles at NZ On Air, um, you know, they fund content for Kiwis and what's beautiful about it being open to Australia is that we have a huge expat market there and just because they don't live here at home that doesn't mean that they're any less Kiwi and I think actually the biggest part 
multiple responses we have are from um, people in Australia, um, Kiwis in Australia that see our stuff and it's just a piece of home for them. So at the moment, our short term is maximising our reach for Australia and New Zealand and our midterm goal, um, you know, within the next six months is to actually get um, a whole season financed. Um, because I think there's been a slight confusion in that people think it's um, the first episode of a show. It's not. It's a one-off, one-hour um, comedy special. And the reason why is because it was funded through an initiative for, um, you know, Pacifica um, storytellers, young story, um, they called it Pacifica New Storytellers. And we basically got to the cutting room and we saw it and honey, we were like, this is a hit. If ever we saw one and if it ends with this one hour special, people are probably going to be petitioning. <laughs> no, <laughs> people should totally petition. No, but so, so yeah, so we, before we launched it, we were just like, cool, let's launch it, but let's prepare ourselves um, and, and wish for the best and hope that the reception is good so that we can go straight in there you know, while the conversation is flowing and say, say to um, the people with the purse strings, hey, look at everyone, they're loving it, you know. I spoke to a girl called Demi and Ozzy and she fucking loved it. So <laughs> yes. here's our audience and they want a whole season and they want a second season and a third season, et cetera, et cetera. So Absolutely. yeah, that's kind of the space we're operating at at the moment. Um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I definitely, yeah. People are just going to be wanting more and more because I definitely was like that. So hopefully, hopefully in time, it'll be more work for you, but hopefully in time, yes, you get on, get on to um, another hour special. That would be so incredible. I would love to know your background in the film industry because you have a really fascinating one and you actually started off in acting, but then you decided to transition to be, being behind the camera. Why was that? So I fell pregnant with my first child, my son, when I was in my second year at drama school. So I would have been about 19 or 20. And then I took a year off to raise my son and I rejoined for my last year at drama school. I was working with a group of my friends. We were like rehearsing and Sima Urale, who was the first Polynesian uh, Pacifica, sorry, the first Pacifica, the first Samoan person to make a feature film. Um, she'd seen me um, working with some actors and she said, you're really good at that. You should try directing. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm way too dumb. Like I wouldn't know how to work a camera or nothing. And she was like, oh, you're awesome. Like you should do it. And I mean, growing up, I was brought up with my grandparents and they did the best that they could. But it wasn't the type of household where it was like, what are your dreams and ambitions? And let's do that together. It was very much like, oh, you want to be an actor? Nope, that's not a thing. You're going to go be a lawyer or you're going to be a teacher. And um, so to have someone like speak love into me or just see a talent or a gift in me that I didn't see myself. Obviously, it sticks with you when someone sees a talent in you when you've grown up not having gifts nurtured. And, um, and, and to this day, like I still keep in touch with Sima and every time I see her, I always have that moment. It's like an, um, a favorite auntie. 
And I, and I always remind her, I'm like, you know, every time she sees me, she's like, I'm so proud of you. Look at what you're doing. And I say, and I say to her, I wouldn't be where I am without you. And she's like, Oh, shut up. I didn't do anything. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, so in her mind, it was just like a comment she made. Um, well, I mean, it wasn't just a comment cause she actually then went to, went on to mentor myself and my best friend. So, um, when we left drama school, we actually came out in the, uh, so, so this is when we finished my third year, we came out into the industry and there was actually a real drought in the local industry here in New Zealand. She said, why don't you guys do a project, right? Why don't you try your hand at writing something and producing something? And so we actually wrote a short film called Fish and Chip Friday. Um, and it was a story, it was my friend's story about his childhood. Um, and so she mentored us, um, basically like EP'd us and getting this proposal together for the New Zealand Film Commission. And so here we were, these two like drama school grads, never done anything before. And we put the prop in and we got shortlisted, but we didn't get the funding. But what that experience did was it proved to us or it proved to me anyway actually, I think I might like this. And so I ended up, because there was a drought and I thought, well, there's no acting work and this is hella depressing, I thought I'll enroll to do my postgrad and I want to learn basically the A to Z of making, at that time it was short film, um, just a project of my own. I want to learn everything there is to doing it. And so I enrolled in this one-year postgrad and yeah, what was happening for me on a subconscious level um, concurrently was that I, because I was a new mum, you know, and I was 20 and, um, you know, I had this toddler. Um, when I was going out to all of these like castings, these auditions, the characters that I was auditioning for just, I just could not relate. Like they were, in my opinion, you know, they were just inauthentic. They just didn't feel like me. They didn't feel like anyone I knew, even though they were Maori or if they were, they were really offensive stereotypes of my people. And because I hadn't had that awakening yet, because I've obviously I'm 30 now and that was 10 years ago, you know, so back then I hadn't had that awakening. So I was just like, oh, this is weird. And obviously everything starts to knit together eh, as you go yeah. on your journey and you understand systemic racism and all of this shit. And then one day the penny drops and you're like, oh, that's what this is. So, um, so yeah, that's when I pretty much decided, okay, I'm going to learn this new thing and I don't kind of like these characters. And it wasn't until I graduated and I started being inspired, like, oh, what's my voice? What stories do I want to tell? And naturally, it was always gone. It was always about brown women, and and so it was never a conscious thing. All I ever wanted to do was put on screen myself, the woman in my life, and just our stories. Someone said to me, like, do you see the representation? that you do is groundbreaking. And I was like, no, cause it's just like, I'm just putting my life on screen. I guess utilizing a platform to project my lived reality. 
yeah, and our stories and basically share the stories that we, um, or share the conversations we have in private. So if people connect with it, that's awesome. And if people don't, that's fine. We all have our own truths and they're all valid and there's space for them all. I've noticed as well, there was an interview you did recently, uh, Flip the Script, and you spoke about how there is, though, there's this tokenistic box ticking culture in the film industry in New Zealand. So what experience have you had with that? Oh, I mean, just to keep it really general so it's not pointed, you know, yeah, you get asked to jump on projects as the kind of Māori voice or as the Māori wahine voice, and the content um, is generally, like, kind of predominantly Māori, but the people driving the projects are um, non-Māori or, you know, we would say uh, over here in Kupu Māori would be Pākehā, uh, so white. Um, And so really, I think, again, as my consciousness, like, elevated, what I was really starting to um, understand is what I felt as a 20 year old in terms of this misrepresentation actually came about from the fact that um, it was a lens. It was the lens that was um, these stories were being s- spoken through. So, you know, we, um, I mean, I'm just going to make something hypothetical up, but it's, you know, it's common is kind of like, a gang story, for example. It'll be a gang story about a Māori or a brown gang, uh, but it'll be through the lens of a Pākehā person. And then so you're kind of like, oh, like, okay, this feels weird. Like, it kind of looks real because obviously it does. It's got production value. Like, they get good money. But then, like, the voices of the characters, you're like, hmm, bizarre. Like, (laughs) and then you take a closer look and then you're like, okay, well, the script writers are kind of their Pākehā as well. Um, But then you do do often see brown names that are um, what I would say, personally, I would say they're attached to the project. And, you know, look, I think it's really worth being really clear that my brown brothers and sisters out there that do work on these Pākehā productions, um, I feel for them because, you know, we're all out here trying to make our dreams happen. We're all out here trying to pay our rent, our mortgage, feed our children. We are stuck in a cycle of, yeah, having to say yes to mahi that works. Sorry, I forget you're Australian, so I That's have to right. kind of... That's okay. <laughs> um, you know, that that they have to say yes to work for these things to survive. And so, you know, no shade or disrespect for them because I've been there. I understand that, you know, as recently as I believe the beginning of last year or maybe the year before, you know, I took a job where I just really needed the money and I was, I felt a bit funny about the brief, but I thought that's okay. I'm not a key creative anyway. Um, I'm just assisting the process Um, and, 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 you know, and then I went and helped and, um, you know, and then I was like, oh, fuck, it's actually, I'm allowed to swear on this. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, okay, cool. We didn't even lay any ground rules down, eh? Just chatting. <laughs> That's right. No, we, um, we encourage swearing. We encourage swearing. <laughs> mean. Um, yeah. And then, you know, in, in retrospect, I like looked at the project and I'm like, fuck, it actually goes against a lot of things that I believe in. And, 
it makes you feel yuck. Yeah. You know, um, but we have to be gentle with ourselves as, as, as brown people. And we have to um, be gentle with each other because at the end of the day, you know, there's a saying in Māori is um, attack the kaupapa, not each other. And that means like the kaupapa being like the issue, attack the issue, not each other. And so when I take that, what I take from that is the issue is systemic racism. The issue is, um, you know, uh, uh, a lack of story sovereignty for us as Māori, for us as Pacific people. Um, and that's actually the issue we need to tackle. And so that's basically been like something that I'm so passionate about is just spreading this message of story sovereignty, which is why we say it's for us and it's by us. This is what we talk about behind closed doors as, as Māori practitioners, as Pacific practitioners, is that um, we see all of these um, white production companies and white producers being funded millions of taxpayer dollars to tell stories on our behalf um, about us with brown faces with very little meaningful engagement with us and more importantly with our community. Mm -hmm. And we're done. We're fucking over it. And the only way I can see there being change is if the people that hold the purse strings actually say, you know what, instead of giving, because this is the other thing, they're getting the premium chunk of the pie. They're not getting like the money that we get. Mm. Sis looks amazing and it looks like a high quality project. Um, um, and it is, but we hustled, we hustled that, you know, and we got, it looks the way that it does because we sold the why to people, the kaupapa, the movement to them. And people were so generous because they believe in change as well. You know, so we're trying to do on our very limited resourcing stuff at a at a high level but these projects that are being given millions of dollars to tell our stories are not building capacity for us yeah so we're still doing legwork as well like you know sis even though it was a short project we were still trying to build capacity we were looking for up-and-coming maori and pacific writers you know i'm 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 proud to say that every single person in that the top of that food chain um and and that's not even just us so you know both myself and the producer are both brown women um you know my co-director is a brown man um, myself and the two um, writers, we're brown women. Our executive producer is a brown woman. And even further up, our commissioners are two brown women. Wow, so right so at the top of that pyramid, oh, yeah, and it's unusual. Like mm. we sat in a boardroom, we do this thing in Māoridom, and this was one thing we were really bring on, big on, is bringing our culture to the framework of how we, we operated is on the first day before we started like storylining, we all came together for like, you know, in Samoan they'd call it a kongai or, you know, in English might be something like a potluck, a, a sharing, a feast. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and in Māori we would say tanga, which is like 
um, you know, bringing everyone together. Um, and so that was the very first thing. Once we got funding, we all came together, the writers, uh, the producers, the directors, the core cast, the commissioners, the EP. Um, we all got together in a room and we just did Whakawhanaungatanga for one evening. Like, and that was the purpose of that two-hour catch-up. And we went around the table and we introduced ourselves. And one of our commissioners, like, as soon as it was her turn, she, like, just broke down. And she said, in my 20 years, this is the most um, brown faces I've ever seen in a boardroom in our industry. Aww. And she was, yeah, and it was just, like, such a moment. And that set the tone for us. Mm. Um, and so we've carried that moment and many moments like it, we've carried it throughout this process because we don't want to let those two women and even our EP, we as a younger generation don't want to let them down because we know they've had to struggle a lot to get to where they are in the industry to be commissioners at these um, networks and these broadcasts. And so they've finally gotten the place to a very respectable place within their profession. They've seen us young ones come along and we're still babies, you know. Um, uh, you know, I've only been filmmaking for about, you know, um, six years. You know, that's a ba I'm a baby, uh, you know, I'm getting there, I'm getting up there, I'm getting up there. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, they've seen us come along and they've gone look at this awesome project, let's put our weight behind it because we wish we had this opportunity. And so how are we going to then disrespect that time? Mm. Um, and that's why we've set the standard so high for ourselves and we were like, this is going to be a movement. It's going to be um, revolutionary. It's going to be boundary breaking um, because our people deserve it because these two women deserve it because we deserve it um, for me I'm a mum of three my children deserve it you know like you got me on a good day Demi let me tell you that because <laughs> yeah. I'm so inspired and I've just got this stream of consciousness today and it's because my cup is so full even as tired as I am I'm just like I've entered this other space um, where just everything is making sense. But um, I was messaging with a girl um, that I met through a kaupapa, um, through a, um, a land occupation last year. Mm -hmm. um, and I was messaging with her last week and she said, oh, I can't wait for sis next week. I have 20 girls coming over to my house. Oh, We're having wow. a feast. We're having cocktails and we're going to come dressed up inspired by the trailer. Oh, and I yes. said to her, yeah, I said to her, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And she said, you guys should come. You're more than welcome. And I said, well, I've seen it a lot of times, so I'm probably not keen to sit there and watch my work with others. <laughs> but um because um, she mentioned that they were going to have a talanoa or like a um, like a forum, a uh -huh. forum um, is, is what what you would call it in English, I guess, mm -hmm. um, that they were going to have one after. And she said, I think we arrived at the suggestion at the same time. She was like, do you want to come? And I said, amazing. Um, and she said, and I won't tell them. So, <sighs> so 
so last night, myself and Destiny and Maya, who are who are the other two writers, so we've created the show together, basically. Yeah. Um, we went like kind of in the last two minutes of the screening as it was wrapping up, and yeah, we walked into this beautiful home, and there, sitting on all these mats and bean bags, and was just the this room of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life there were 20 brown women and they were just cackling and I had the most incredible night last night so yeah what happened after that was we got dessert we got a drink and we sat on the mat for just over two hours um, and Tola the host um, she opened the space beautifully they'd already had karakia at the beginning of the night so and you could feel that mm. you could feel that the safe uh, the space was um, set mm-hmm. um, and then literally can you imagine Demi 20 women <laughs> we went around the room one by one introducing ourselves what villages we came from um, you know, uh, what we did. Um, so, oh, I'm not, you can't even write this. I'm still in a state of like shock that I was even where I was last night, but around the room, a psychologist, a lawyer, a sex, um, sexual health worker, two young girls that are still in high school, 17 years old, um, what else? Um, someone studying their PhD on um, Indigenous studies. Just every kind of corner of society. A bartender, um, yeah. uh, and 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 you know from different um, suburbs as well. You know, um, you've got like South Auckland, which you know the media perpetuates as lower socioeconomic, and then you've got someone that. Um, two sisters that are from Apia, Samoa, which is like, you know, um, when you're talking in terms of Samoa, it is kind of the capital of Samoa. It's the metropolitan of Samoa. So, you know, you've got lots of different, I mean, I, I don't like the word, but, you know, from a white person's point of view, different classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just like, wow. We all went around, we all spoke, we'd all like kind of stalked each other on Instagram. So people were <laughs> yes. making connections because they weren't all friends as well. They, they were meeting each other too. Really? And, um, and there was just the most amazing sharing. One girl shared how it only just dawned on her that watching Sis last night, her grandma, her grandma is 83 years old. And this is the first time she will ever see herself on screen. Um, And I just, and that just like all of us wanted to break down and cry. Someone else, one of the young girls shared, you know, being from South Auckland, you know, that um, media often dehumanizes um, girls that look like her. So to see sisters and to see girls that look like her and act like her, Um, be so, you know, multifaceted was the word of the night, Um, um, you know, just meant so much to her that she felt seen and she felt validated. Um, And, you you know, there was just so much beautiful, generous, divine 
feminine energy in that room and it was just like such a reciprocity of love and they were thanking us for this gift and then we were thanking them for this gift and it was just like this is our people and this is what it is to be indigenous and I think indigenous people around the world can relate to this and your aboriginal um, whanau, your tangata whenua there will relate to this and that the media, and this goes back to that white lens thing, the media, the film and television will always try and perpetuate us as this lower socioeconomic kind of trauma-driven narrative. And that's kind of the extent of... um, who we are in terms of society's view to us. And I think what these filmmakers that do this to us fail to realize is that um, they place on us a very heavy uh, sentence in a way, I guess. I don't know. What would you say? It's more than putting us in the box because what they do to us is inevitably – Um, Have you watched the show yet? Yes, yes, I have. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, inevitably what they do to us, to me, is, you know, as a 30-year-old, in my opinion, you know, I feel I'm successful. I'm living my dreams and I pay my bills as a filmmaker. I don't have any other job. I, I make my bread and butter as a filmmaker and I say that with the utmost humility. I feel successful that I've, my passion is my job, my day job, but I can still walk into Kmart and guarantee you every damn time they're going to check my bag when I leave. To the point where I've even been asked to take my sleeping baby out of the pram so that it could be checked. And now it's to the point where um, a few months ago, my son, he's 10 when we went to Kmart and, and now I've got this, the thing is we, we've got automatic ways of dealing, like uh, what is it called? Like mitigation mm. <laughs> um, tactics now where we will. So I will make sure I've always got my receipt with me because I don't want to be, I just don't want it to, especially if I'm in a rush, I'm like, I just want it yeah. to be a quick thing. Yeah. And so um, me and my son, a few months, oh yeah, like a couple months ago, we went to Kmart and we were walking out and the girl was actually midway in a conversation with someone and she'd been letting people out before, but yeah. she kind of clocked me coming. And she, so she kind of uh, interrupt, like interrupt or like kind of like broke away from that conversation and she beelined for me. And I was just like, oh, here we go. All I bought was coat hangers and like two clear containers and they were in the, like you could glance and see that there was nothing taken. And so she beelined and um, I was like, oh, like really, like I was in a shitty mood. Like I've got a short temper, not going to lie. But I was like really sarcastically like, oh, I bet you want my docket, don't you? And she's like, Ah, ha, ha, yes, please, if that's okay. And I said, and I shoved, like I gave it to her. And she was like, oh, thank you so much. And I'm like, cool, have a nice day, like walked out. Mm. And then right, like coming beside us was this no shit, this family, this, you know, middle-aged white family with their young teenage kids. And they walked with us or like by us 
and my son clocked it and he goes oh that was weird and I said was it and he said yeah that was weird that made me feel weird and I said why did that make you feel weird and he said I don't know it felt like she kind of picked on us and I said should we stand here and see if who she does it to and just observe and he goes okay and so me and my 10 year old stood a few meters away from the front door for 10 minutes and I just without feeding him I let him observe um, the people that this woman was stopping I saw I saw um, four kind of Asian people in their like mid-20s or 30s they looked like they were maybe setting up a flat or something walk out with two oversized trolleys like of shit she just let them through and yeah no with no um no shit you couldn't ride it every brown person that walked through she she stopped them and to the point where she was talking to one family and made another one wait you know this is the type of thing and it was so sad because that same like feeling of confusion was on every single one of their faces as they left and for me to see like um because one of them was like an older some like an older pacific island woman and she was with her two like teenage sons and you know you could just see her like she looked like she she looked like she felt violated Mm -hmm. and she was nicely dressed Girl, she had black pearl earrings on. I don't know if you know how they're expensive, you know, <laughs> yeah. expensive earrings. She looked nice. She looked middle class and she just looked humiliated. And my son said to me, oh, I'm getting so emotional. Um, so anyway, we left and then we caught up with some friends afterwards and I was like, oh, Dry, do you want to tell the aunties and uncles what happened at Kmart today? And so he told them, and what he said was, at first I felt weird, and then I felt angry. And that's my 10-year-old. Yeah. And that's the world we have to grow up in, where it's just like, we don't understand why these, or we, yeah, we don't understand why these things happen to us, but they affect our everyday life. It's an, it's, it's an annoyance, it's an irritation, Um, and at times it's a humiliation and an embarrassment to us because it's happening in public and people can see it happening to us. And so when going back to the representation thing, when we are constantly being stereotyped by white writers and white producers and white directors, and they've got this weird fetish romanticization of us as in our lower socioeconomic struggle, they further perpetuate a stereotype that we carry the very real, real life consequences of, because that is what is educating people about who we are. And yeah. that is what is informing Susan at Kmart on the door about who I am as a person that informs her bias about who I am. And so this is why we can't continue to um, allow our narratives to be controlled anymore. Yeah. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And you can't just have a, like I say, a token person to represent you and have 
a white, like a white person tell that story through them because they're not going to understand their perspective. They're not going to understand that you have to teach your son about racism at a very young age. White people don't have to, we should, but we don't have to. If a white child never learns about racism, like, you know, they'll probably be a horrible human being, but they're fine. Whereas you have to, to keep your child safe because of the racism that's going on in the world against him. And it's just, it does get frustrating because I do hear a lot about tokenism and saying like, oh, diversity, we don't just want tokenism. But it's just like, no, we want diversity and, and not just diverse people, but diverse perspectives, true perspectives, not just through a white lens. Yeah, I absolutely get what you mean. Mm. Mm. And I think we can talk about it, but what we're not talking about is what that is practically. And it's that whole, like, we need to go back to the conversation of what is meaningful or genuine engagement. And, you know, until countries like New Zealand and Australia and America um, and all these other countries that have been heavily colonised repair their relationships with their Indigenous people, we can't work with it on a micro level. We can't talk about true engagement and partnership between white people and Indigenous people until at a government level it's actually acknowledged. So what do we need to do in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, I think we need to say, fuck partnership, let's let them lead their own shit. And if they want to bring white people on board to um, upskill them or teach them, because, you know, we're in this tricky thing and that there aren't enough of us out there doing it at a high level to be doing what we do. And so we do need to draw upon the skills of, um, of, of, of Pākehā practitioners to give us some tools and whatnot We've got the voice, we have the talent and the stories, so you don't need to worry about that and you actually really shouldn't have a say on that. But you can have a say on things like story structure or, I don't know, logistical shit. Um, leave the story stuff alone because that's not your business um, and actually actually just get out of the way and and be directed for once. Do you know what I mean? Um, and let, uh, let us lead our stories. Um, so that's actually the direction I think we need to go until some balance is restored, until some mana. We talk about mana a lot as Māori and as Polynesian people. It's actually a, a word that floats between a few uh, of our languages. And, you know, mana being... Um, uh, like your power, I guess, or your self-esteem or your essence. Well, I guess essence is kind of Modi, but, you know, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, if you looked at it like this, right? Um, if I was to physically or mentally harm you, mm -hmm. I've stripped you of your mana. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I have, I've stripped you of, so I've taken something away from you. We hear it a lot in victim impact statements. Um, and because it's not that on the nose in terms of colonization, 
some pe- some white people, not all white people, because there are some that get it. Mm. Some white people can't see that it's the same action. You've stripped us as indigenous people of our mana. So now what needs to happen is there needs to be a restoration of that. The same way a perpetrator of violence or something needs to repair or uh, be sorry or kind of be genuinely remorseful and be willing to take the steps to as much as possible restore some of that. Mm -hmm. That's actually what white people need to start doing. And, you know, they'll say, oh, but that wasn't me. That was my ancestors. But they don't see how they actually in present day, um, they continue colonizing us in many different ways and speaking on our behalf in the film and television world taking our stories and thinking that you should be the one to produce them is colonizing us. It's further colonizing us. You know, it's, it's, it's further objectifying us. It's dehumanizing us. And then you're, you're making money off of us. Well, that now becomes, in my opinion, a modern day form of slavery because let's talk about it. What is slavery? It's treating one human like an object and being being able to make money off of them. Well, is that not what we're doing here? Are you not using brown faces and brown practitioners in very, um, you know, in genuine ways as, as a checkbox? Are you not using them to access funding? Are you not using our stories to uh, elevate your own career in the international market? Because you know that coloured stories from Australia, from New Zealand, is what America is looking for. They don't want to hear about stories from white New Zealand. They want to hear about stories from Maori or Pacific people, you know, when we're talking about the Americans and stuff. And I think that a lot of producers know that, and they know that there is a dollar value, a currency to us, and they find very creative ways (laughs) to make these projects and use us in ways in which we're complicit in our own colonization. It's very, it's very deep shit. Um, and unfortunately, not, not a lot of people are awake to it yet, but they will be soon. And I think yeah. they see, see stuff like this and they go, what is different about this? And why can't I put my finger on it? And then they hear this type of context and I'm sure people are going to sit there and be like, I'm, I, I need a drink. <laughs> yeah. It's Wednesday and I'm watching this and I need a drink because what the fuck have I been listening to and watching and supporting this whole time? And people are going to go back and look back at the movies that they love. Uh, you know, I mean, America's done it well. They've looked at things like The Help um, and, um, the color purple and, and all these kind of iconic, um, films and they've gone, Oh my God, the help was a white savior film. Thank you. You know, Mm. we loved the help when it came out and, and, you know, and all of this stuff. And if you actually listen to Viola Davis talk about it, she says she regrets doing it because when they sold her the idea of coming on board, she said, I come from a slave family. Um, so of course she wanted to play that character, um, because she knew that story. It was lived experience for her grandmother. And imagine being Viola Davis 
in that movie cinema at your premiere or whenever she first watched it and being like, that's not my, that's not the story of this black maid. This is the story about Emma Stone's character, this white writer who exists purely to placate white guilt and going, you know, and now we've got a whole generation that goes, oh yeah, if I wasn't born in those times, I would have been the Emma Stone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so this is how um, white people continue to escape um, owning up to their own privileges because media like this supports uh, and cushions their fucking egos. I'm sorry, but that's, that's the truth. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's why we just need to say no more, like no more of these white savior films, no more, just no more, just no more of white people driving stories to have anything to do with, with colored black indigenous people of color. And if this black lives matter movement, um, isn't going to open the conversation for all the myriad of kind of conversations of racism, then those people have died in vain. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We can, we should be, we should all be standing in solidarity with um, African American people um, in America, but here in Australia and New Zealand, there is so much work that we need to do. Um, You know, Australia has a shitload of apologising to do to Aboriginal people. Um, And, you know, and as an Indigenous person, I look at the way that my Aboriginal brothers and sisters um, and Torres Strait Island people have been treated. And I'm just like, Australia, you're an entanglement. (laughs) You're a damn entanglement, Australia. Get your fucking shit together. Pauline Hanson, just go fly to America and just be bunk buddies with Donald Trump already. <laughs> yeah, we I don't, don't know much about, yeah, I'm like, I don't know much about Australian um, politics, but whenever I see, see Pauline Hanson, my God, my eyes, my eyes, they do somersaults to the back of my forehead, like straight up. <laughs> I'm just like, fuck, she's a dick, bro. Like straight up. But you know, oh, we've yeah. got that stuff here as well. Um, Ah, this has been an interesting talk. Didn't plan any of this, but thanks, Demi. That's so good. It's definitely gone into like every topic. I I love it so much. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much for chatting to me. I'm just... I honestly thought we were just going to talk about cis, but we have, you have firstly, I'm going to use the word, you've, you've educated me so much. Sorry, you've probably heard that word a million times and get sick of it, but you've educated me so much about your experience and really, really have shown me not just, you know, oh, cis is important because diversity really have showed me. And I think you're going to show a lot of listeners what diversity really means. It means a bunch of 20 women just in awe of a film because they're finally seeing themselves being seen from a brown woman's perspective not some random rich middle-aged white man's perspective like it's just you you're just amazing and you're doing so great with what you're doing because i can't even imagine like say when you brought on those actresses or just even the camera crew the the stylists like they would have all been you 
like when you were starting out in the film industry, starting up as acting and you're being like, oh, there's not a lot of in-depth characters out there. You would have just been such a light at the end of the tunnel for so many of those people. Cause I'd be like, yes, finally something that's an in-depth character with a great story. Like you just, oh, you're just doing so great. And you know, as well, like with that village mentality, that collective mentality, like I'm the type of director that'll sit at a monitor and say to my art assistant, what did you think of that performance? And they're like, oh, Um, and I'm like, well, did you buy it? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, oh, well, why would, why are you asking me? And I said, well, you're the audience. So if you didn't buy it, then we, we should go again. Um, because I do hire where I can in every nook and cranny, um, Māori and Pacific people. And where I can't, I'm really big on, um, uh, you know, um, minorities. Um, you know, uh, we've got a beautiful Asian community over here. Um, and I've had the privilege of working with many talented Asian um, creatives over here. And they're just like, they're making such oh, positive, strong um, kind of traction over here in our industry. Um, so they've got some exciting stories coming out um, of that com- of those communities. Um, and so, you know, I speak to, I ask people on my crew because um, it's our work. It's a reflection of us as a people. I go back to that. And so if my art assistant or whoever's around the monitor with me, if they're not feeling what they're seeing, if I look to the left and I've seen that someone isn't like watching the monitor, like for the story, not even just for their job, like, oh, hang on, you know, um, that's what I'm looking for as a director. And, and so even when I'm filming, like I'm kind of gut checking with my, my team because, um, I can't, I don't do this alone. Like I'm honored that I get to receive so many of the compliments, but nah, man, it's, it is a village. I can't take credit for the styling. I've got an amazing stylist, Sammy Salsa, and he's a beautiful um, Samoan Nguyen queer man. And he dresses us and makes us look amazing you know, our art directors, our DOP was Cook Islander, Um, you know, my editor is, um, is from mainland China, Kiwi uh, came to New Zealand when he was younger. So, you know, there's all these different lived experiences through that lens, those different lenses um, that all add to the stories being multifaceted. And if something doesn't sit right with someone, they know they can say to me, hey, did you think that this might kind of come off funny or like, you know, and they're always respectful, but I know it's because they care about the work because otherwise they wouldn't be there. And so um, when I see our work on screen, like that belongs to a village of people. And last night with that room of 20, we even went as far as to say it feels like thousands of ancestors sitting in this room with us because with each of us we bring all of our ancestors and so you imagine being in a room of 20 physical bodies but feeling around the house thousands and thousands of 
tūpuna of ancestors. And I look at our work just like that and everything that we do is that there are so many hands and hearts and minds and souls and families that have loved and nurtured these projects. And so they, that's why they feel so full because it's not just my voice. It's the voice of many. And in the, in the instance of SIS, I believe it is the voice of um, a certain pocket of Polynesian community. Because there's many different, there's many different, uh, you know, but this is a particular pocket and this we feel represents this pocket. Well, you and the team at SIS have really done something that's, I think we'll go down in history because you're going to inspire more. You yourself are going to inspire more filmmakers. The the actresses are going to inspire more actresses. That I think all of you at SIS are just going to be inspiring so many people to let because it's going to let people know. But even though they already know, even though they already know, but reaffirm the notion that yes, there is a demand for your stories to be told. And I think it's just great what you and the team have done at SIS. And it's not just, and it's not just great for the people of your communities and of your country, but also like all the way in Australia as well, for people of all backgrounds, just learning about your stories, because there's probably many of us that probably haven't even heard of like, proper stories that haven't been influenced by a white narrative. So I really do thank you. Oh, all good. Thank you guys for um, supporting us and just, yeah, just encourage you guys to keep getting the word out there. If you connect with the work for whatever reason you do, you know, the best, the power really does lie with the people because we all know it. Like if someone recommends something to you and they're like, girl, Demi, you have to see this. Like, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen or, like, whatever, however, the, however you know. Um, we know that we're going to take note of that and be like, mm, well, that's my best friend. So, you know, really, like, if people are vibing with the work, if they're connecting with it, um, you know, um, don't be a quiet appreciator. Like, be loud about it. Be noisy because that all helps us in terms of, continuing this movement um, so that we can continue to provide more opportunities for for more um, young Pacific Māori um, writers, Māori and Pacific writers and directors and producers. Um, and so, I mean, if anyone's watching it anytime soon, we've got a sketch. There's a particular sketch. We're trying to, like, funnel our energy into one kind of post, and it's the opening supermarket sketch which talks about racial profiling. Mm -hmm. um, and we're just asking, like, if anyone watches if anyone watches the show and they connect with it, to share that particular um, post with a review because we want to hear people's opinions and, you know, even what we can do better. We're all for being better, you know. We're all about excellence here. And that's something my grandparents taught me was, like, when you do something, do it well. Do it with the best of your abilities. And, um, you know, so anything people have feedback on, I know people are like, oh, there's too much swearing. Well, too bad. It's, the actors love to swear and I give them so much room to improv. Um, and it's not about the swearing. It's about the story. So, you know, um, so, yeah, if people are keen to support and they love the work then just sharing that particular supermarket sketch 
um, with their review, tagging us in it, and um, yeah, just continuing to spread the word. I mean, if I had a dream, <laughs> I know you were gonna ask me that, eh? You were like, Hanel, what would your dream be um, <laughs> if I had? If, if I had like a dream, there's lots of them for this project, but it's like, man, oh, there's my daughter. <laughs> Hello. She was told not to come. Uh. You just have, she photograms <laughs> everything. Oh my gosh. We, oh, well, we're keeping it real, eh? Yeah, keeping it real. Um, yes. Keeping it real. Um, <laughs> I look at that supermarket sketch and I'm yeah. just like, that's the type of shit I feel like Jordan Peele from Key and Peele, who did Get Out. Mm. would watch and be like I get that yeah this is funny or like Absolutely. not funny but this is relatable and so yeah. we've often thought about because you know Comedy Central is is kind of where Key and Peel started as well and mm. um, we've always been like oh imagine if um somehow on Twitter you know how things happen we're like um, yeah, stuff goes viral. You never know. Stuff goes viral. Mm -hmm. And we're like, man, imagine if it just like came across someone like Jordan Peele and they were like, look at these girls down there in New Zealand. Like, this is my <laughs> jam. This is my jam. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, so I'm like, yeah, let's just keep, keep getting the word out there and just keep making sure as many people have the opportunity to just, even hear about sis, you know, um, far and wide. And as you said, we already like so many people, Sweden and um, Turtle Island and um, wow. where else? Spain, Peru, Brazil, um, uh, the islands, Hawaii is a big one. America's a big one, obviously Australia. So, you know, it's not that far-fetched. Yep. I cannot wait to see it go viral. I think it will go viral because it's something that we never, we've never seen something like this that just shows such a great narrative and just be, yeah, it's just, oh, sorry. My cat is now attacking me. You had your child trying to get attention. My cat's trying to climb up me now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just so great what you're doing. And yeah, I really do appreciate you coming onto the pod and just telling me everything about sis and, the, the story about it all and how it all came to be. Sorry. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, got my interruption as well. But yeah, thank you again just for coming onto the pod. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. And um, yeah, just looking forward to seeing everything that comes for you in New Zealand. Uh, well, for Māori people last year, uh, last week, sorry, um, is was what we call Matariki, which is our Māori New Year. So, oh, yeah. um, uh, and and it wasn't intentional, but you know, it's fitting that we're in a phase of abundance. So, with that, I just extend that to you and wish you, and you don't have to take it, um, a happy Matariki, a happy Māori New Year. Um, and Thank yeah, you. hope that hope that energy carries you through for the next we while little new year's buzz <laughs> well thank you very much and i hope all the success to you and all the success to sis and yes i'm waiting for it to go viral to jordan peele that is the goals right there <laughs> that is the goals yes one uh -huh. of many one of many one of many yes I, well, the other one is to get jason momoa to propose to me but i think uh, that might be a little bit harder 
Thank you so much for listening to today's interview with Hanel Harris, one of my favorite interviews I've done for the Nasty Woman Club platform, and I appreciate all the time that she gave me in educating me and my listeners about the importance of understanding discrimination, racial profiling, and the effects of colonization to Indigenous communities. Now, if you haven't already, make sure you check out her show, Sis. It is available on Comedy Central in Australia and New Zealand. Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4 are on the website, so make sure you tune in. It is an incredible series, and it, it looks at the voices of Maori women, and it actually shows it from their perspective without some bloody white influence on the show. So definitely give it a watch. I will have the link in today's show notes. If you do enjoy the Nasty Woman Club platform, please give it a review, a rating, a share. All of this helps grow this independent platform. I'll be in your ears tomorrow for another best of episode. I'm your host, Demi Lynch. Stay nasty, everyone.